Welcome to My Name is Not Steve, the podcast by storytellers about storytelling with people not named Steve. Hey, this is Pete Bauer. And I'm Dorothea Bauer. And this is My Name is Not Steve. We are still not named Steve. Nope, we are storytellers that talk about storytelling, Dorothea. Are we? Yes. I, I think I just question you now whenever I, you say that. Every single time, Every it seems. single time. No, well, then we're not. let me just we're not. reaffirm. We just, yes, we are. <laughs> we are storytellers that talk <laughs> about storytelling. That adds no value. It does. In what way? You now have my endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> You're Dorothea Bauer, and you approved this message. All right, so um, how's things going on, Dorothea? It's been pretty good. Yeah? Been pretty busy. Yeah? Yeah. It was funny, uh, a couple weekends ago, you were really busy around the house doing a lot of things you like to do. Yeah. And it was so exciting <laughs> to see you happy about doing things you like to do, because oftentimes in life, you have to do things you you have to do, and then sometimes you... You have to try to find time to do the things you want to do. So. Yeah, I was very productive. Yeah, you kicked butt. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, what's going on, Dorothy? What, what are we going to talk about today? Well, um, I think that one thing that we can talk about today is how to completely wreck a story and rebuild it. Oh, that's, that's so funny because I'm doing that. I know. <laughs> In more than one arena, too. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Here, Here's what's going on. So... I spent a lot of time, I tried something new, I mentioned this last time, about putting three by five cards and outlining the entire story of the next Gabby Wells novel. And then as you write, things are going to kind of take their own turns and stuff. And as I mentioned last time, I, I needed to introduce the main villain earlier in the story than I had originally planned. The problem with that is that that then exploded the story. Yeah. It, it, it was a big burst of fire and then smoke and then ashes. Also part of this episode, we will be showing you how to shred three by five cards. <laughs> it's very simple. In fact, with talent and skill, yeah. you can do several at one time. Yeah, yeah. And electricity. So <laughs> I, uh, this is not something I wanted to do. I, I actually know. had planned on being done with this novel by now. But um, it's not. I have finished about 16 chapters, so that's good. I'm about, and, and in the normal Gabby Wells world, that's about halfway through. It's usually around 30, 35 chapters. So that's okay. I mean, I'm making progress, but when I introduce the main villain, so this is the cool thing and the frustrating thing about writing. As the main villain and Gabby are having this discussion, not only did I blow up this story, but I may have blown <laughs> up the rest of the series. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny because I remember <laughs> you talking to me a few weeks ago about how you wanted to outline the rest of the books on those three them. by five yeah. cards. So yeah. that way you wouldn't have to worry about it if you needed to take a break from writing this series yeah. so you could write your next series. Because nothing would change. And... Um, <laughs> Which is, is, is just fantastic, because do you remember why we started this podcast, what the first episode was? Uh, no. It was about the question, why not? Ah, yes. And the reason that we started that was because you had reached a point in writing the first Gabby Wells novel where you're just like, well, what if this happened? Why not? Mm, right. Change, change the whole outcome of that, which everyone loves, by the way. So it worked out really well. It was uh, actually, I think it was titled uh, What If, not Why Not, but it was the same basic ideas. Yeah. What if we did this? Why not do this? Right. And um, and so I think it's funny that this whole journey, I mean, you thought that you could plan it out when really as a writer, you Ugh. just get these ideas when you're in the middle of a groove and you're just like, oh, what if I did this? Well, I hear all these really successful people talk about the different processes 
that they use to be more efficient and more timely in their writing, get more words done, get more books done quicker. I have a pretty aggressive plan that I want to pursue, and at this rate, I'm not going to make it. So I was trying to figure out better ways. And I'm sure if I continued down the 3x5 card path, I think I would be fine with that if I spent more time in that world. So what I mean by that is if you look at how like groups like Pixar, how much time they invest in their stories. We talked about Mission Impossible 3 last time and how much how many layers and complexities and, and the speed at which those guys move through the, the story you know, that's not by accident. You know what I mean? So I get, the problem is, is I get impatient. And I, and for me, the fun of writing is getting into the world and then kind of seeing what happens. And so I think if I want to be efficient using this other way of three by five cards or, or more in-depth outlining, if I want to do that successfully, I'm going to have to delay my gratification of getting in and writing and figuring this stuff out. And like anything else, I would not do the other process well in the beginning, kind of like right now. <laughs> but then I would eventually, I would think, get better and better at it. So I don't know. I we'll, we'll see what happens with the next novel series trilogy that we're working on. But for this one, it's just, it's. Um, I think I just have to go with my gut instinct and use my, my film outlining skills that I'm, I'm very adept at. And just at a, but it's a very high level outline. And then just kind of trusting the process. I think at this point, I'm faster that way. So trying to do it this other way has made me substantially slower and then exploded everything that I had planned. So it's kind of like... And you hate wasting time. I do. <laughs> it's so, like... It's like building like an extension <laughs> or an addition to your house. And then, you know, as you finish the bathroom, a small room, you go, oh, crap, everything's facing the wrong way. And then you got to tear it down and rebuild it. And then as you're rebuilding it, you go, actually, we need another story. Like in the in the house, not, <laughs> not <laughs> or in no, the novel. Or, not, or maybe. It's been an interesting and frustrating challenge. But in the in the same respect, kind of rewarding. The, the problem I'm having now. <laughs> I know that the, the listeners can't see the face <laughs> that you just made. <laughs> but while you were saying kind of rewarding, your eyes were screaming in pain. <laughs> Oh my. In the same way a root canal is rewarding, you know? <laughs> it's it's done and you don't have to worry about your tooth anymore. <laughs> but the process of getting a root canal, not so much fun. Oh goodness. Anyway, so I am excited though about where the story potentially can go. I still may be able to salvage some of my initial plans for the future of the series if I indeed ever write it that far into it even though I've kind of changed everything up. So that's that's a possibility. But the end result is that I really like I like where, where it's headed. And I like the, the bigger challenges that it that's coming along with it. Gabby's story has become a lot more epic than it was when we originally yeah. outlined this series. Yeah. I, I, well, and I think for all the right reasons. So You know, we're making it epic for all the wrong reasons, guys. <laughs> you can buy Gabby Wells at Amazon.com. <laughs> do this for all the wrong yeah we're making all the wrong decisions yeah and intentionally put, right and putting them on paper exactly for everyone just to read forever and affiliating our names with both of those <laughs> both of those things okay so that's kind of where we are with that and and it somewhat ties into this other thing i did for my wife for mother's day <laughs> now i hate now now question yes o- honest question time yes. here yeah how much of that was done for your wife, my mother, and how much of that was done for your own personal sanity? 
Well, it started out <laughs> doing it for my wife, and it ended up, the only reason I kept doing it and continue on with this was for my wife. In the middle there, I just had to get it done for me, though, because <laughs> it's just frustrating, because I hate wasting time, right? So I've invested all this time. And uh, so anyway, th- this is what kinda, happened. This is what happened. Topher Grace took the original Star Wars trilogy and re-edited it into one movie. We talked about that before. As Which in, I really wish I could see. I know I never will, but yeah, everyone who's watched it has said it was really cool. Yeah, legally, you're allowed to take something you've bought. Like I could, if I've bought a CD, although they don't really sell those anymore, but you know what I mean, the, the idea of, of buying music. I can make a copy of that music for myself as long as I don't share it or sell it. Well, and you can also, there are so many people who take CDs and they'll, they'll mix them with other tracks and they create right. their own versions of things for their own entertainment. Right. So you're allowed to do that. So Topher Grace did that with the Star Wars, the, the prequel trilogy. All the feedback was really good about that. You and I did that with the first movie. It was years ago. With uh, the Phantom Menace. Phantom. We completely deleted Jar Jar Binks from existence, yes. which was really fun. Made the movie a lot better. <laughs> and, and that was just to show you editing. So I thought it would be good to take something that you were familiar with and then show you how to re-edit it. And it's always really great when Hollywood, with all of their production value, gives you excess material that is unnecessarily long. Because then you have opportunities to edit. You're never going to re-edit or think about re-editing a really good movie, right? Because right. they did it right. <laughs> so you just look at the movies that are like, why is that scene in there? Why is it so long? Or I legit thought you were just being sarcastic. I didn't know you were being serious. <laughs> like, it's fun for editing reasons. No, it is. It no, is. It's great when Hollywood does a crappy job. And right. Then we can fix it for them. Sure. <laughs> so one of the things my wife really wanted to watch, um, she loved the Hunger Games books, and she liked the movies, and she had not seen the last movie the two parts of the last movie Mockingjay which is honestly my fault because she wanted to go see it in the theaters and I said no (laughs) well we've talked before how we despise the idea that they took a really good tight novel and expanded it into a loose slow boring movie two-parter well my original plan was to have us just purchase Mockingjay part one and then watch it and then go see Mockingjay part two because it's a personal pet peeve of mine to not know how a story ends yeah and so that was my plan. I was like, Mom, we can do this instead. I was like, you don't want to like spend all this money to go see like half of a story. You just don't want to do it. And she's like, oh, fine. And then she forgot about it. And then um, then I didn't care about Mockingjay anymore. <laughs> and yeah, we well, never went to see it. I think it didn't help that I watched the Blu-ray of the you first did, one. Before anyone else. And, um, and it was so awfully slow and boring. for it's Just to really, you would look at scenes. If, if you've worked in Hollywood or made movies at all you understand about the timing of things and i would watch that movie and go they either on purpose talk slower than they should have or oh yeah just, they talk very slowly or left the scene like just the camera would just linger after the scene's over it's like anyone making a normal movie would cut that out but they needed to make two movies out of one story so they just added and added and added time and just waste it was so much waste so i got done watching that one and i was like yeah you don't want to watch it well and it was funny too because i realized that it had been several years since i had seen a hunger games movie because the last time i had watched one was catching fire in theaters and then i didn't care about seeing it anymore personally and uh and so i never invited mom to come and watch the movie with me so she never went to see it in theaters either right so to make up for that you did something very special I tried. (laughs) So what I thought I would do is, thinking back to the Topher Grace experiment and the experiment we did with the Phantom Menace, 
I thought, why don't I take those two movies and edit it into one? So I was able to extract the movie from the discs onto my computer. And I will say this, like I said, editing beautifully shot material is it's just, cool. oh my gosh, you're looking at this still image of this, like a major actor in a major movie and it's on my computer and I can play around with it. It was kind of cool. I, I have to imagine that being an editor is really cool because, you know, I did some video editing for work in my last job and... Not that it was bad quality. I mean, the camera was good and all that other stuff, but it just wasn't beautifully filmed. You know, right. it was just it was no, just these guys average. Are artist, artist at the top level. And it's so cool getting to. It makes editing video fun because you're right. like, oh my gosh, what if I did this and what if I played with this and, I mean, we we it's obvious that we love filmmaking very specifically, right? But, um, but it was just it is really cool to edit something that's so beautifully filmed. Right. I, I just quick story at my last job. Um, there was this one contractor that we hired to go film at one of our sites and they did a beautiful job at making uh, manufacturing look just gorgeous and so my boss and i kept using this footage like anywhere that we could even if it wasn't really relevant to the video project because it was so beautiful just like how can we incorporate all of this (laughs) into what we're doing which is about a completely different subject matter b-roll excellent we'll do that yes i i put these two together So I was able to cut out about 40 minutes out of the first movie and about 20 minutes out of the second movie. So the whole thing, I think, was about an hour. The second movie moves really well. They Again, there's times where you're like, why are you still on this scene? But generally, they, they there's a lot of action in that. And typically, when you're converting a book to a movie, if you want to shorten the film, like if you need to cut stuff out, you either cut storylines or you cut characters. Right. And because they didn't do that, there was no way that you could just cut certain scenes without like if a character died you couldn't just cut right. it be like they're not here anymore right they pieced out yeah so there's there's five people and then the next shot there's two and you're like what happened everybody <laughs> <laughs> anyway so i was able to put this together and again this is just for my wife for our own private viewing and so i had this video file then that i um it took a while for my computer to render and then i had to try to get it onto a format that would be viewable on our television So every stupid little stupid piece of stupid technology has its own stupid little requirements. And encoding requirements and all that stuff. Yeah, so like, so for example, televisions today have like USB drives on the side that you can put stuff in and you can look at pictures and home movies or whatever. So that's usually a very specific format that it can read. The problem with that format is that you cannot copy anything more than four gigabytes onto that drive. There's a size limitation. This movie, obviously, being as long as it is, is larger than that. So I, I changed the, the USB drive to another format that allowed it, but then the TV wouldn't read it. Neither would the Blu-ray player or the PlayStation. <laughs> so then I'm like, oh. so Mother's Day had come and gone. And I'm like, well, the only way I'm going to be able to do this is to burn a Blu-ray just for this occasion. And I didn't own one, a Blu-ray burner. So then you bought one. I did. Right. So then I got Blu-ray burner software. Which, Which, now we are an Apple family, and since Apple does not like Blu-ray, it was actually a whole very difficult quest, almost, to try and find a Blu-ray player that was compatible with Apple. So I just want you wonderful listeners to really appreciate the struggle that we went through in fixing Hollywood's mistake. Stupid stupid (laughs) technological challenges. Anyway, so then there was this one software that I could find that created blu-ray discs on you know software to to burn them and so there was a free version and they usually let you use it for 30 days well instead of that they said well you can use it for five minutes so here's the problem i had one disc 
I had one blank Blu-ray disc. Because who uses discs anymore, right? Blu-rays. <laughs> Blu-ray people. <laughs> so I was like, well, all right. So now I have to buy this software. So now I've had to buy. You bought a drive. I bought software. And so I burn this Blu-ray movie and it doesn't work and it craps out and the disc is burned in toast so but i'm actually really excited that we bought that drive because now i can watch my blu-rays on my laptop no it is cool i mean it's it's not a wasted purchase but when you're looking at the process of trying to do something you have to understand i already had the movie edited <laughs> right we're all just gonna sit around your computer right. and watch it in like, premiere like who wants to do all of the work of that right just to watch it on a computer screen for you know the end results like three and a half hours or three hours or something like that so I was like, all right, no, that's not, it's got to play on our television. So anyway, so then I had to go order. We should have done Apple TV and it, projected. It doesn't work. It doesn't work? No, because. Moving from your laptop to. No, because it, I tried that. So video, after a while, will start to skip because it's, it's wireless transmission. It's not right. actually on the Apple TV. It's on your computer. Mm-hmm. So it's not a clean. And again, the whole point of doing this is to watch a movie <laughs> of moving images that don't stutter. So anyway. Then I had to buy Blu-ray discs, which I didn't want to buy. But now we can make so many Blu-ray home videos. Yay, because <laughs> this has been such a positive experience. So I thought, well, I'm only going to buy Sony because I Sony is the best usually at that kind of stuff. And it's their, their format, Blu-ray. And you can't really find a lot of Blu-rays anymore unless they're cheaply made. So I found a 10-pack of Sony on Amazon and ordered that. So then I got that and then I had to make the movie. And then I finally compiled and burned the movie, and then I played it on our Blu-ray player, and it it would come up, and then it would stop. And I'm like, this is the worst Mother's Day gift ever, because (laughs) at this point, it's Tuesday after Mother's Day. I'm so frustrated. And so then I realized, crap, I have this old Blu-ray, Sony Blu-ray player I specifically bought to watch 3D movies before I had 3D television, because I knew I wanted a 3D television. That doesn't play the passive 3D movies that I on my television, by the way. So it was a wasted <laughs> purchase from years ago. But anyway, it's this old Sony Blu-ray player. I'm like, well, if anything's going to play a Sony disc, it's a Sony Blu-ray player. So I had to bring that out here, plug it in, and that actually worked. So why are we telling you this story? Well, one is that's the <laughs> that's commi- a very good question. That's the commitment I have to my wife, and that's how awesome I am. The second thing is really is that as we we're watching this. When I first watched Harry Potter, and you'd read all the books as we talked about, I was really impressed. I I was really impressed by the burden on Harry's soul for really saving mankind against an evil that he was far outmatched. As we're watching this this last movie of Katniss Everdeen trying to overcome the Capitol, I'm like, she also has this this burden. And it made us think about the, the trope of the reluctant hero, which both Harry Potter and Katniss, you know, fulfill. And then it made me realize, as with the rewrites I'm doing and working on this novel with Gabby, that Gabby has morphed into a reluctant hero. So some of the pieces that go with that trope of the reluctant hero is that, one, they long to be normal. They kind of feel like outcast anyway, but they really want to be normal. So if you look at Harry Potter, he wants to be a normal kid, but he's got the scar on his head that everyone knows is means something important. Everyone recognizes. Yep. You have Katniss Everdeen, who is really awkward. Two guys like her, kind of are puppy love. Which is funny because she's not like personable at all. <laughs> right. It's, it's against her own sensibility that that's happening, right? And she really doesn't fit in anywhere. Their past experiences make them want to not be involved in whatever's going on around them. So, you know, Harry lost his 
family over this, so he doesn't want to be involved. I mean, it's a struggle, right? There's that risk of loss. Katniss had lost her father, and just struggling to survive is is the, all the problems she wants to have. And the end result is these characters don't want to be special, but what makes them different is what makes them special, and it's that special quality that the world needs at that moment to overcome an enemy that's far greater than everyone in the world. Like no one in the world other than they can actually solve the problem. So if you look at Harry, he's the only one that can take on Voldemort. Katniss and her skill with the bow and arrow, which she needed to survive, is used in the arena. And it's her compassion for people and that skill that allows her to survive the Hunger Games and is suddenly a threat to this entity called the Capitol which controls their world. Really, it's her compassion that makes her a threat and the fact that she lived. Yeah. Well, it's also her, she um, gets angry very quickly and she's deadly accurate with a bow. So yeah, that's it's, true. <laughs> it's her compassion which makes her likable and lovable and people attached to her, but she's also a threat literally against people physically because of her anger issues and um, her ability to be lethal. I would also argue that reluctant heroes are defined by their situation. And what I mean by that is that what makes them special, at least in the cases of stories of reluctant heroes that I've seen, is actually not them. It's the situation that they find themselves in and is the fact that they deal with it and they don't run away and hide. Because if you look at, for example, Harry Potter. Harry Potter is a scar on his forehead and he's known for defeating the Dark Lord, but he actually didn't do anything to defeat the Dark Lord. Right. Uh, It was all because of, you know, super duper magic with his mom and all that other stuff. But it was nothing that he did. So it's his situation. And he walks into this wizarding world and everyone knows who he is and everyone expects great things from him. And a lot of stuff is put on his plate. And then what makes him special is the fact that he's like, okay, I guess I have to deal with this. You look at Katniss, and I've told you this before, one of my favorite quotes, I think possibly my favorite quote from the Hunger Games books is unfortunately one that I'm going to have to paraphrase because I don't have the book in front of me. But failure. (laughs) the basic gist of the quote is Katniss saying that she was made beautiful by Sinna's hands, desirable by Peta's love, tragic by circumstance, and by all accounts, unforgettable. And I love that quote because it's just like, this is the situation she found herself in. And now she's the face of this revolution. Right. And that is the reluctant hero's story. You know, like Harry, even though he went into this situation when he entered the wizarding world, the world was kind of normal then. I mean, there was not a lot going on. It's only when the threat resurfaced that suddenly he was propelled into this situation, right? Like he was awkwardly known but he wasn't the solution to problems until Mm -hmm. the threat resurfaced. And so now he's like, well, everyone's like, well, you have to solve it. And he's like, like, I'm 11. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to. So I thought about that in The Reluctant Hero. And again, it's interesting to me through the, none of this was planned, but that the Gabby Wells character has kind of evolved into that logically, especially after what's going on in the the novel Gods and Martyrs. And so I, I was thinking about The Reluctant Hero and some of the examples of The Reluctant Hero. Now, the first thing that I thought of, which was actually wrong, is Luke in Star Wars being the reluctant hero. But Luke wanted to participate. Yeah, he wanted to be a rebel fighter. Right. So so the actual reluctant hero in Star Wars would be Han Solo. <laughs> yeah. Right? And what's interesting, and because The Force Awakens is a copy of A New Hope, is that in that movie, Finn is the reluctant hero, and Rey is the willing participant, really. Well... 
Yes and no. M- much because more she's, so. Because she's very reluctant as well. She just wants to get back to Jakku. So. But, I mean, she's much more attracted to the family piece, right? Like, here, here's what I mean. Finn sees the danger, right? And has experienced it, you know, head on. And now he wants to escape it. But he's reluctantly brought back into it. Where she doesn't have that history of that that danger and fear that she's facing. Once she gets into it, she probably wants to get out of it for her own selfish reasons. But the reality is, is that she's in it and then willingly in it because she's good at it and she's discovered this new gift she has. But Finn is very much like, look, I've seen how evil these guys are. I want out. And they're like, well, we need you in. He's like, ah, crap. Right. (laughs) Han Solo is like, you know, look, I don't care about other people. And now I just want money. Right. And now you've made me care about other people. And crap. Now I got to help out. And it's so funny because this reluctant hero story, I think, is so important and so, I guess, popular because there's a lot of a lot about them that we inherently, I think, like as people. And identify with. Right. Is that one is that they, we all feel like we don't have control over big situations, right? And we want to have control over big situations impacting our lives. And these characters, for whatever reason, do have the ability to influence the bigger picture. The second thing is that by doing that, they have to sacrifice things that they don't want to do. That's why George Washington was such a great living hero in the American history, because George Washington, after the war, he wanted just to go home. And they're like, well, we need you to be president. And he's like, I don't want to be president. It's like, how much more can I give for this country? But he did it reluctantly. He actually was going to join the the British military way before when he's like 13 and his mother needed him home. And so he was like reluctantly came back and served his mother. So that's one of the things he did, these personal sacrifices for the greater good that overcame this large entity, in this case, the British Empire, where you have, you know, Han Solo and Finn overcoming the empire. You have Katniss overcoming the capital. You have Harry overcoming Voldemort and all of his his followers. Another reluctant hero is Neo, and the Matrix, right? He has his own world. He has his own skill, like we talked about. He just knows things are kind of wrong. And then he, once he sees it, he doesn't, it's kind of like Harry. I don't want to be involved in it, but here I am. And so now Take the blue pill. I got to use my gifts and try to overcome it. You know, you just said something interesting that sparks another Wait, th- really? Wow. On this podcast? <laughs> yeah. All right, mark it. Okay. <laughs> that I also think is kind of at least in some of the movies that I've seen, a consistent thing among reluctant heroes, which is where they just see that things are kind of wrong. They have that vision into the world where they just are like, this is weird. Because like, if you look at Neo, he's one of the few people who just saw that it was wrong. Like things weren't right. They weren't the way that they were supposed to be. You look at Harry and a lot of people wanted to believe that the Dark Lord was gone. There was nothing bad going to ever happen again. And he's just like, well, that's not entirely going to work out that way. Or Katniss, who's like, sees the evil of the capital and everyone's like well we need to fight and she's like you have no idea what that means right because they weren't in the arena where your life is for entertainment yes you know? another uh character that we're really um high on is john mcclain and Die Hard. he's another reluctant <laughs> hero who has very specific gifts that allows him to overcome a much greater force that's beyond his control welcome and- to the party pal <laughs> so 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 like pro in your face American. It's like I American. Love Die Hard yeah, it so is much. Awesome. So another aspect of the reluctant hero is is kind of Hitchcockian in the sense that it's the everyman that's brought into a bigger struggle. The other characters we've mentioned so far all have very specific gifts that are needed at that moment in their world's history. But some characters are reluctant heroes 
truly by accident, if you will. So if you look at like Frodo Baggins, you know, he comes across the ring. There's history with a, another Hobbit, you know, having the ring. That's, that's the movie The Hobbit and the book The Hobbit. But but the point is, is that here's a guy who really is just living his life, comes across this thing and suddenly is thrust into this being a hero, even though. And, and what's so great about about the Lord of the Rings trilogy is that he is physically small and weak and everything and has to be the strongest person morally and emotionally than anyone else. That's a really cool dynamic that the writer set up. But also, if you look at people like Sarah Connor in The Terminator, she's just a waitress in the first movie who, you know, some guy shows up and says, hey, listen, the baby you're going to have is going to save mankind. And these machines are coming back to kill you before you have the baby. I mean, like, what? Can I can I show you the dessert tray? I mean, what's going on, right? So also the baby's mine, just FYI. <laughs> yeah, it's a paradox I don't want to get into right now. So um, and then if you look at even Bruce Willis in the movie Unbreakable, here's a guy who who is just an average guy who survives a, a the only one to survive a horrific train accident and then realizes that he can't be hurt and looks back on his life and goes, I've never been hurt. It's M Night Shalaman's take on a real world superhero. How would they really exist? And so that's really interesting, too, because that's the part of what Hitchcock did so well is take the everyman and put them in extraordinary circumstances, usually because they were accused of a crime they didn't commit, where this reluctant hero... Innocent man on the run. Hitch loved those. Right. And so the reluctant hero in these cases are like that. They're just innocent people going about their day who say, well, you just happen to be at the right place at the wrong time, and now you must rise to the challenge or else everyone you know and love is in danger. I mean, that's the really the, the, the innocent, reluctant hero. But something I think would be really cool for us to talk about on this podcast is actually how, at least in film, directors' interpretations of a character can make one version a reluctant hero and one completely the opposite of that. Yeah. And the character we're referring to here is Superman! Dun-da-da! Dun-da-da-da! Yep, so if you look at the... So let's look at the Richard Donner Superman from 78 and then the Zack Snyder Man of Steel version of Superman from a couple of years ago. The Richard Donner version in Superman the movie is very much the comic understanding of Superman in the sense that he's truth, justice, the American way. You know, he's a good guy who wants to use his powers for good and save the innocent people because he can and he should because he has these powers. You know, he hides his existence for in both movies for his own safety. But at some point he has to come out of his shell and then is willing to, in Richard Donner's movie, really willing to just kind of take on whatever's there because he must protect the people. That's his job. Where if you look at Man of Steel and especially Henry Cavill's performance, he, he expresses a vulnerability and a reluctance. In just about everything he does in that movie. It's and it's amazing. really, it's so layered. Henry Cavill and the soundtrack for that film are the only things I enjoy about that movie. <laughs> yeah, the rest of it's kind of crap. I don't know why Zack Snyder keeps getting money because his movies don't make any sense. But anyway, but Henry Cavill's performance was very much, I thought, a reluctant hero. It was fantastic. Like he, he didn't, he, it goes back to the things. He kind of wanted to be normal and he knew he and wasn't. He wasn't because of situation. Right. Because the interesting thing about Superman is it really is entirely. The situation that he finds himself in. Because if he was on Krypton, he would not be able to fly. If he was on Krypton, he wouldn't have laser vision. This is all because he's an alien on Earth. And this is how his body is reacting to the different world. Right. So, you know, you look at that and go, if he were anywhere else, he would not have these powers. I'm sure that's not true in comic books. I'm sure he's been on Mars and can fly there, too. But... With the scope of what we're talking about, With the scope of what we're talking about, his powers 
are completely rooted in the situation, which is that he is on Earth. And it wasn't his control. And it wasn't. Completely outside of his control. In his power. Uh, Yep. In both movies, there's a catalyst for them to come forward, whether it's Lex Luthor or General Zod in Man of Steel. But both of them must come forward and save the day. But, you know, Henry Cavill's performance is very much of, I don't want to do any of this. And he does, though, because he understands he has to. He's the only one who can. But just the way he acts is so good. And talking about acting, it's very easy in these movies to, because they're action movies or these grand epics, to really take for granted some of the performances. But when I was watching Jennifer Lawrence in the Mockingjay movies, the re-edit, she is so amazing as an actress. She is, she really. She really is so, there's just some times in that movie where it's just a simple look that she gives that's insanely subtle and really good actors understand the power of the camera so they know just how little they have to do to really relay something and and the really good actors are able to do it in a way that if you're standing one foot behind the camera you're not going to see it right they really get it and there's a multiple moments in the Mockingjay movie where it's just a simple look of the eye that relays layers and layers and depth of information. It's really the difference between showing and existing. Because I think right. in theater, because you know we've both been actors in both film and theater, in theater you have to perform. You have to show the audience what you're feeling. There has to be a lot of physical movements and facial expressions, and that's genuinely required because you're on stage. Right, and you're you, acting for the back row. Whatever. You're acting for the very back row. Right. But... When you're acting on film, really what you're doing is you're just living in that character and allowing the camera to capture that. Right. And the best actors do that so effortlessly, or it looks effortlessly. Which I think, frankly, this is a personal note, is one of the reasons I loved film acting so much more than theater was because it was just that difference. It wasn't about performing. As much as I really did love theater because it's fun to do and all that other stuff, it's nice and enjoyable and, and fun to just be that other character yeah for actors if you're an actor and you're thinking about what's the difference well imagine acting if your audience was one foot from your face Mm -hmm. right and that's the difference that is the back row the back row is 12 inches (laughs) and so you're like they don't want you to perform they just want you to be the character it's the only way it's real and it's really fun to me because you get to watch actors on film think you get to really see their brain working in their eyes. And that's something you don't get in theater. It's really cool. It's one of my favorite things is watching actors portray a character realizing something or figuring something out or being conflicted because all of that's in the eye. Right. And I remember watching an interview with Oprah Winfrey and she talked about photography. And she would take pictures of of celebrities when she was a really big talk show host celebrity. And she just did this on the side for herself. And she'd always make them think of something that they really loved or something, you know, sad or whatever, because she's like, they're literally their face wouldn't change, but their eyes would just by if they're thinking about the loss of a loved one or the, you know, being engaged, right? That expression goes through the eye somehow. It's really, it's really pretty cool. And Which so, is, again, one of the amazing things about God's creation versus man, because I, I don't think that computer graphics are ever going to portray that emotional connection. No, no. Because what do they do? They do motion capture of people. Of people. <laughs> That's the only way that works. So it was through this experience with putting together this re-edit for my wife for Mother's Day of The Mockingjay that I realized that Gabby Wells has evolved into a reluctant hero of a sort. I, and I have no idea what that really means because I don't know where the story's going anymore. But she's funny because she's she is a reluctant hero up until the point that she decides to be the hero. Well, Because right. in, in, each, in each story, she's in a situation that she doesn't want to be in. And she's just like, I'm not doing this. I'm not 
dealing with this. And then she's like, crap, I'm here. Everyone out of my way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, she's like, look, if I have to solve this problem, it's going to get ugly. But I will solve the problem. So one of my favorite quotes about Gabby, I was just writing in the next book, Gods and Martyrs. And it kind of explains what you were just saying about Gabby taking on things. It's like being threatened with death never brought out the best in her. <laughs> right? And I think that's just so true. It's like... Uh, it does bring out the best in some people. It, Gabby's not, not, not one, one of them. Of them. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So anyway, that is our chat today on Reluctant Heroes and why they're so popular with people. I think everyone kind of wishes that if they found themselves in a situation like that, they would be the reluctant hero because right. no one... It's one of those things where it's like, would I have the courage to die for my faith? Well, right, right here, right now, sitting in the comfort of my home, I say yes. And I hope that that's true. Right. And I, I feel like that kind of translates into the whole reluctant hero thing. I think everyone wants to believe that if they were in that situation, they would be able to make those choices. Right. If life somehow took a turn and they were asked to do something incredible to save everyone, that they would somehow have the wherewithal, the strength, the cleverness, the wit or whatever to get through it and actually pull it off even a great consequence, I think that would be... You're right. Everyone wants to think they can be that person. And, I, and I'll admit, there are times where I write Gabby into situations where I'm like, I don't know if I would what I would do here. Like, I, I know what Gabby would do here, but I am honestly not sure if I would have her strength or resilience because, goodness gracious, this poor girl has <laughs> been through well, a lot. Well, it's, it's, it's very funny because, you know, there's the whole... Uh the whole argument where violence never solves anything. That's what people say. And it's a really easy thing to say. But there are some people that I personally think should be punched in the face. So <laughs> I can't be one of those people who says, like, because there are some people who, like, for example, people who've been raped, they're rapists. I'm like, you should be punched in the face. Yeah. And and I'm not saying that that's like, all right, policemen line up to punch, you know, the criminals in the face, because that's obviously a crime. But... Um, <laughs> It's one of those things where it's like, I know that there is a right answer, but I know myself personally. And I also know that, like, it's hard to always choose the right answer. Yeah. Yeah. It is hard. And, and so what I think we like about these characters is that they're all sloppy when they do the right thing. You know, because they're just people trying to solve a problem that's horrendous and awful. Like there's times in most of these movies where there's not a good decision. So you're trying to make the best decision out of a bunch of bad ones. And, you know, there's going to be collateral damage with any one of them. Their sloppiness, I think you kind of identify with because if they were too perfect or too adept, it's why some of these like super spy thriller stories are hard to really they're entertaining, but they're hard to identify with because the people are so skilled beyond what you could ever be. It actually kind of reminds me of your complaint about Gilmore Girls because mm -hmm. you, you saw mom watching an episode of that and you're like, no one has that many pop culture references just dangling on the tip of their tongue <laughs> all the time. That whole show is written so fast. And that's its thing, right? That's its charm or whatever. It's kind of like Quentin Tarantino has so many pop references in his stuff. And it's like people just don't talk like that. Maybe but, you don't. <laughs> but I mean, I get it, though. If you create a world where that works and, and it's part of the world and you believe it in that world, then that's fine, whether that's Gilmore Girls or not. But just coming in and hearing them just rattling this stuff, like banter back and forth. It's just I actually almost went, too witty or clever for real life. I actually went on a TV website and looked up all their pop culture references just for one episode. And then I tried to like educate myself on all these things. And I'm like, I don't care that much. Like, I don't care to understand everything they're talking about. Too much work. All right, Dorothea, so that is it for this episode. If you'd like to contact us, you can email me at pete at petebowerbooks.com or you can leave a comment in the comment section. Or rate us on iTunes. Yeah, rate us on iTunes. You don't have to be nice about it, but we'd appreciate it if you would be honest about it. 
and the more ratings the better so please take a moment to click on the link if you're here on our webpage and connect to itunes and give us a, a ranking whatever you feel it should be and thanks for joining us yep thank you so much and we will see you guys next time bye